0: Welcome to The Profitable Python with your host, Ben McNeil. On this episode, you will meet Andreg Shufta, who has been working in IT for 20 years with the last 15 specializing in Ruby, helping huge Rails projects get back on track. Andreg, welcome to the show. Yeah, hello everyone, hello Ben, thank you for the invitation here. The, the pleasure is all mine. I think I think you have a lot of value to add and we're just going to jump right into it here. So. Uh I I had a question for you. Uh what was the biggest motivation to becoming a CEO and creating Arcency? Um, it's a very good question
1: and not so easy to answer and the answer is probably very long but just to make it short um I really didn't plan to start a company so I will not create this whole in, like I don't know big plan it wasn't like that. Uh, I was working as a a developer full-time on positions in different companies. At some point, I ended up in London, uh, where I really enjoyed working for a Python company. But then, due to some private reasons, I I wanted to come back to Poland. And coming back to Poland was also combined with the idea of uh, going freelance with Ruby. And Ruby was becoming my technology love and so on. And very quickly, uh, my freelancing with Ruby was growing with more clients and... This meant I either had to reject clients or find some more people to help me. And I did the second thing. So I, I basically started hiring people or started cooperating with other freelancers. And somehow this uh, ended us growing ArkenC. And it's only after two years of having a company when I actually found a name for the company. So before that, it didn't even have a name. Uh, but it was something that, you know, in hindsight, it's really almost like a plan it wasn't a plan but it looks almost like a plan and i'm really enjoying what we are doing we have a strong brand in the ruby community um we specialize now in big uh, ruby rails applications so we position ourselves more on the software experts side and uh, we usually work with really big big projects so so this this is something what i was really always enjoying so in, in a way this is my dna put into a company you know, we can apply some really interesting design patterns, architectures, and so on, and make sense for those big projects.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I was curious how, because uh, in the pre-interview, you had mentioned like your instincts, they'll speak to you and, and that you uh, should listen to them more often. And so I was kind of wondering, how have your instincts provided you guidance while building your company and kind of like going into the future with it? Wow, (laughs) that's a nice question. Um, Some of my instincts were
1: related to technology. So I really, mm, I was a Java developer uh, at the beginning of my career. And back then Java was the rebel thing to do. So I was really like the young person trying to change the world. And Java was meant to be the technology behind it. Uh, However, later on I discovered um, Ruby, mostly through the whole initial agile, Agile movement that was happening in 20 years ago. Uh, Most actually more precise the Extreme Programming movement, and m- more and more people from this area uh, started using Ruby. So I, I started using Ruby, and it was kind of like by following them, but also my intuition, my heart said Ruby is really the closest I can you know embed the business requirements into the code. There was also this this, uh, this moment of time where Python was close to my heart as well. Uh, but in the end, between those two technologies, I went, I went with Ruby, mostly because of Rails, but also I slightly prefer Ruby for the syntax. Uh, another w- another place, another area where my intuition played a really important role was when I started the company, um, I didn't really have a much choice in, in regards of choosing really good co-workers because they were distributed in many different places. Mm. So my intuition said it should be fine with the remote collaboration. It should be fine if we, ha- if we start a remote company. And this was at the beginning, just an intuition. I was following DHH and the the base camp previously was called 37 signals company. They were doing really good with the remote collaboration. So I said, okay, let's try it. Right. And this was a, this was a good intuition. I think remote works now more and more mainstream and, but, but 20 years ago, it was really like not so common.
0: Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's actually something that I want to dig into there real quick because Uh, at least from my experience, there's kind of these two schools of thought. And one is like, if you're not seen at work every day, then, you know, are you doing any work, you know? So how, so, but with remote work, it's like uh, I I see there's some argument, like if you're using Slack channels, for example, the communication is, Mm -hmm. is, is out in the public. So can you, can you kind of talk on like, you know, if you're doing remote work, how do you actually know if they're working, or does it matter? Is it all results based? Do you have anything to share on that?
1: Uh, sure. So for me, the result of the work is always the the the, the code changes, the commits, right? So as as you know, as long as someone you know pushes the, their commits frequently, everything is fine. I can see their work. Uh, um, my biggest inspiration for remote work comes from open source and open source is always result oriented, right? You, you don't have to declare that you will work on something. You just start working on this and then deliver the result and that's it. So I try to apply the open source lessons into, into the business environment and that's how we work with our clients. That's how we collaborate as teams uh, internally for for the ArcNC needs. And I never had really bigger issues with this kind of work. So obviously, this requires you know self-disciplined people. This requires a lot of trust in the team. But this is what we have. This is you know once you work with people for a longer time, this this builds nat- naturally. And I'm really proud that that's what we have achieved. So really, I think this is be- this is often a topic to discuss for people who never tried remote work. But once you go into this and you work with people who are skilled at remote work, I consider remote work to be a skill. It's not a philosophy, it's not a religion, it's just a skill. Someone can practice that if they want. And once they practice that, they become better and then it's easy to work with such people. So for example, when I recruit people, I do take, I do mm, select those people ideally who already have previous remote experience. This is the biggest obstacle usually. Do they have this, or because if they come from the office background, they they might have some longer time needed for the switch.
0: Hmm. I I don't know if the information is out there, but I've never heard of that before. Where remote remote work is a skill, I've always I've I've heard of it as like a dream job, but I've never heard of it as a skill. So yeah, thanks for uh, sharing that with me. I don't is that is that also talked about in. In uh, when evaluating uh, employees at like around the world, is that how people talk about remote work, or is that kind of something yeah. you? I don't know
1: really. Like that's that's my approach to this uh, because I don't okay. want to create this. Like there are many myths around remote work, and as you said, for some people it's a dream, and I uh, I, I you know, respect that. And then, but at the same time, I really need to ensure that. It's not that they want this, like some people just want to have easy work and that's not what is with remote work. Remote work is still hard work. It's just you need to practice how you communicate, how you deliver the results, how you're seen because now it's not so obvious as you, you know, your first question about that was how you see people working. So it's now the responsibility of the remote co-workers to become seen all the time or like not all the time. And there are many, many things people need to learn because Our our main slogan at RKSC around remote work is what we call over-communicate. So sometimes you need to communicate in many different ways what you're doing. Uh, Once with the commit message, once with the communicating on Slack channel that you're doing something, maybe on the backlog you attach yourself to a certain issue. Uh, So there are many ways you can communicate, over-communicate, but obviously there are ways of actually over over communicating right where there's just too much noise <laughs> around you and still no results, so but if you are over communicating and their um, results are coming frequently from your site, uh, this is enough um, there's also this myth around remote work that people you know, don't talk to each other, and I think this is totally the opposite of what we see at Arkansea. so if you see the main slack channels, they like they are very much alive, and very often you will see like for example, there's this four person team. And they're discussing something on Slack, usually around some specific commit, so it's always like code oriented or mm-hmm. very specific feature oriented. And very often, you will see after I don't know five minutes of exchanging messages, but both the same, both the people, for example, they are working at the same time, and they will quickly jump to a Slack call or a Zoom call or something else just to have uh, use the voice. We, we rarely use actually camera, so. We don't feel the need of having cameras and look at each other, but obviously voice does help uh, when both people are at the same time. So we often favor the ad hoc two-person meetings while we avoid the whole team meetings because they're rarely very efficient. Hmm. Uh, So there are many, many small meetings instead of, and they're not scheduled. They are just, okay, we need this meeting, so we will do it now, right? Obviously, not always people work at the same time. Uh, In this way, I can record a video, a short video, uh, me on camera or just a voice message to my coworkers saying, okay, I found this piece of code or I found this requirement. This is the way I want to approach it. Uh, I will do it this way, this way, in this way. And I will post the video on the Slack channel. And so people, whichever time they choose, they can watch it. And if they see some problems with my approach, or they see better ways, they can reply to me later on. So it's, um, I, I, we distinguish between remote work and async work, and async for us is more important. So we need to be async friendly. People can work in different time zones and still collaborate uh, efficiently.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. My my mind's racing already. So uh, okay. there was there was something actually that that I was curious about with distributing the work and that maybe has something to do with the async nature of uh, of of collaborating but how uh you posted something on twitter about basically uh chunking down the the assignments to kind of something that you could execute on over the course of like a couple of days versus week-long things and kind of the implications with that first of all what book was that from and then second of all (laughs) can you kind of expand on that a little bit Um, Yeah, so this
1: was actually from our own book. So we wrote this book called Async Remote
0: Okay. Uh,
1: and that was published, I don't know, like five years ago or six years ago. That was our first book that we have published and that was kind of our manifesto. This is the way we work at ArcNC because we were one of the probably not so many first companies using remote approach. We thought other companies would like to learn and other developers would like to learn. And that was great for marketing <laughs> as well and this is the book that we always give to our um, potential people that we want to work with so if you're applying for a job at Arkenstein, you we want you to read this book we want to be sure that it's okay with you that the practices are okay the same uh, applies to our customers so when you are a lead for us uh, we want you to read the book and we want to we want you to confirm that that's the way you want to work with us and uh, so yeah so there is a It's not very strict, it's more like a philosophy with certain rules and certain techniques. But we need to make this whole um, collaboration async-friendly, not for the sake of being async because RKNC is async, but also because we really believe this is a very efficient way of creating software, uh, complex software. Uh, So we try to, you know, whenever you explain a requirement or you have some business problem to solve, uh, we need to analyze it, we need to split it into smaller stories in a way that any person can take it from the top of the backlog. That's our other rule. We always take the first ticket from the top of the backlog so that you, we avoid the constant thinking, okay, what should I work on? We also avoid the situation where the project managers assign to certain developers. You should do this, you should do this because this leads to other problems. So we avoid like assignments. Uh, obviously, someone decides on priorities and because it's business-driven, it should be the business uh, in some way or another. And we also apply this technique called start from the middle. So even for uh, very complex business requirements, we try to boil it down into the one smallest thing that really delivers the main value, even without the UI maybe, or even without some other integrations yet. Uh, But this is the first thing to do. So incrementally, later on, once you have this, we can incrementally build it up and deliver some... um, Smaller free things around it, but that, that's that's the whole point to make a big feature, split it into smaller, but start from the heart of it. So start, find the middle of the of the feature, and then deliver this. So uh, this also mm-hmm. mm, like the con- the con- the consequence of that is that we can constantly deliver software. So we try to you know deploy several times a day. Uh, we we just you know. If you if this feature is well chosen as the middle one, it should be it should be possible to deploy that. If it's not possible, then we use feature flags, so we hide it and we only expose it to some uh, I don't know for the QA or for the customer users. So there are like certain techniques, but it's kind of cent- centered around this idea that one developer should wor- be able to work on that, and we try to avoid situations where one developer is working on something for longer than I don't know two three four days, right? So. Because this leads to other problems. if If someone is assigned to a certain ticket for more than a week, it's almost always kind of a problem. People are um, some people may not like find it comfortable that we, we don't know if, he's, if this person is blocked or if he or she is blocked on something. Um, so the communication suffers usually. So we try right. to make those things smaller. Uh, it's hmm. It's a difficult thing, and again, this is a skill. this is something that you practice, and over time you become better. There is no, I don't know, once you practice this idea of finding the, finding the middle requirement, uh, once you practice this over, I don't know, 10, 20 features, you become better at this. So, and I expect our developers, to everyone, to be good at this. right? So we are, we, because we want to avoid those special roles of project managers, product owners, they will be there, but at least they don't have to help
0: us with every little thing, like
1: splitting the requ- requirements, for example.
0: Okay. Perfect. Yeah. That, uh, that actually triggered another question here for you, which was, so, so one of the things maybe or arguably you specialize in <clears throat> is decomposing systems and, and then building business apps around those. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so what are some intuitions that you've kind of discovered about doing that decomposing a system to build a business app? <laughs> the main thing is that it's very difficult. <laughs> so that's, um, this
1: requires experience with working with you know, software projects. Uh, and this requires really um, being proactive as a developer to understand the business needs. And this is rare. So it's very difficult to find programmers who have not only this, because again, that's a skill, but it's hard to find programmers who really want to work on this skill. So, really, become the business developers in a way. Mm-hmm. And my, my mission, and that's the see is kind of this, this way of expressing this mission and this vision, is that um, it's much easier and more efficient to teach a programmer the business side than it is to teach the business side how to write code. And also, I believe it's more efficient to, for developers to understand the business more and more than to provide some kind of um, layer in between the business and the programmers, usually as some kind of, I don't know, business analysts or project managers or product owners. Um, so I try to move more and more responsibilities for into like on the programmer's side. Uh, and this is very difficult. This is not for everyone, I, I think. Uh, the, the main lessons are that, for example, over the last years, I was working, uh, I've been working on a project which involves quite a lot of knowledge around accounting and publishing. And I actually took, I'm saying this is, it was like the best approach because I did make some mistakes at the beginning, but for me, it was really important to understand the business, uh, the business as in what is the domain, what is really accounting about, what is publishing word about, but also the business as in how do people make money on this, right? So we are there to help someone make money. So I really need to understand very, very deeply and very, very well how the business works so that whenever I work on a feature, I can decide, does it really help making the money, right? So I can make, make, it's usually usually the developers who can um, cut the scope in the best way. Uh, The business people, they can provide us some... Uh, requirements, description, specification, and so on. Uh, but for them, it's really hard to understand which of parts of the feature is really the more most difficult one. So because they don't understand the technicals, maybe don't they don't understand where are we with the technical depths? What which parts are the uh, the expensive ones? Which parts are the easy ones? So it's it's up to the developer to to decide in the best way. Only if the developer really understands the business. Um, side of it, right? So they need to understand that, okay, this is how the money is made here, this is what, how, how the provision is calculated or whatever is the way of making money. So um, yeah, that, that's probably the explanation here.
0: Okay, yeah, there there's some other things that kind of cropped up when you were explaining that because I've heard a lot of talk out there in the business world about like, you want to niche down, you want to really just drive home like I specialize in providing these specific services to this industry, or basically the more, the better that you can niche down. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. your niche is kind of like, we come in, we don't care what your business is. We'll come in there and decompose those processes and give you an upgrade. So how, I mean, I, I could just see like two people like playing chess. I know you're a chess fan, you know, battling it out. Like which way is the right way? Do you specialize or do you, or do you go in there and just get good at the skill of decomposing any mm-hmm. businesses. Do you, see where, do you see where I'm going with that, I guess? Or uh, So let me start and
1: you can confirm whether that's the direction you're asking. Uh, so for example, me being a developer or I can see as a team of developers, we, we as you said, we try to specialize in decomposing big software or big projects or big business ideas into something that we can create the code around the architecture for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work with many different business domains. So as I can see, we don't specialize, for example, okay, we only work with e-commerce, for example, or we don't specialize in... We have quite a lot of clients from the publishing industry, so we are probably probably naturally good at the, in this industry, but this is like we don't try to position ourselves like we create software for publishing clients or for publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we position ourselves more as a technical advisors, uh, so we are good at whatever complex software you create, especially with Ruby. Um, or if we can advise you to do Ruby, then we can we can start with that. Very often we actually take over existing projects. Uh, so that's our also probably something more unique. Um, yeah, I, I believe there are two ways of positioning yourself as a developer. You can become very very good at specific domain uh, business domain, especially if you believe in this. Uh, concept of you know developers understanding business very well, um, or you can uh, go the way we do. So we can we will switch between different businesses, but not that often, right? So for example, Arcansee is um, right now twelve years as a company in the market, and it's not that we were working on hundreds of projects over this time. We were working on dozens of projects at most, because we work with our clients for many many years. So. We have a, we've had a client for nine years. we felt we have we still have a client for eight years. Um, so this is this is the time frame. This is the time period where we can really understand the market of mm-hmm. your client and help them and understand their domain. Sometimes even to the point that you're better at this than them, right? Because you understand it from the technical level, so you see more of the details. We sometimes are asked, how do we actually do this in in our company? And this is the question to the, to the programmers. So we try to become the very close partner to, to, the, to the business, um, to our client. And we don't specialize at this level of you no know, specific domain. We more specialize at the level of, okay, if you have a big project in Ruby, if you have a big business based on a Ruby application, or usually on a Ruby on Rails application, then probably we can help you. Uh, especially if you are already have this project in production, and we can be brought even later to this system, so it's quite rare that we are developing a software from scratch, which is a luxury, but something that we rarely have this chance, uh, because we, it's just something that we are better at when we can found, uh, we can uh, work on something existing, and it's also the nature of the Ruby world. Ruby on Rails is a framework for rapid um, rapid development of web software. And there are like many startups were based on um, Rails. At some point, the same developers who are able to amazingly, efficiently, quickly deliver the software to production, they are usually not the same team who can be super efficient um, when the business is growing, the business is making money, and they at some point they will get to the wall because suddenly the the whole um, the railway, as I call it, the architecture behind most of the uh, Ruby on Rails applications is usually not enough, and people suffer. And they, as developers, they don't, they can't really develop it later. Uh, so this is the, this is the moment where we can jump in, and we appreciate the work that was done before because some some teams were, you know, really really good, probably much better than us at delivering the first phase of the software, and we can try to jump in later, fix some bugs, you now making make it perform better, make you know structure it better. Um, so we try to introduce some architectures or design patterns from domain-driven design. Very uh, often we introduce event sourcing. So techniques which are not very popular in the Ruby world, but we find them working very well for the bigger applications.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely a goldmine going on here. I can't wait to go back uh, through this. And <laughs> like, th- thanks for sharing all this. There's this just really thought-provoking stuff. Um, I guess the only other question I have, I wasn't planning on going down this path, but since we're here, we're going there, I guess. Uh, But I, I was kind of curious, like, if you're starting off, for example, does it make sense to take that approach? Or do you think that they should, should they specialize in something and then branch out? Or if they do go your, your approach, which is like, we handle all business domains. What is your like, how do you convince a client that you're capable, like, Hey, I just did a publishing project, but now I'm going to go out and do something with marketing or like, how do you convince the customer that, you know, you're the right choice?
1: Um, usually I don't try to convince them that okay. much. <laughs> uh, so, the, okay. So... We, we, pos- we have our, like, the way our marketing works, uh, so our c marketing works, is that um, we try to specialize in those Ruby, big Ruby applications. And we often get clients who are either already from a recommendation by someone, or they follow us, uh, our blog, or maybe my Twitter, or they already kind of know our approach. So it's, it's more like they apply to work with us. So I, I don't, I, I try to make this as a sort you of no, know, not a, I don't, don't want to position in a way that I'm trying to convince them. We should try to convince each other, right? It should be like a win-win situation that mm-hmm. we want to work together. Um, so for example, when I'm asked to write, um, I don't remember, the, the official name, like the request for proposal, right? That's the, that's the formal name for writing proposal. So I usually don't do that, for example. So it's, is the clients that they are coming to us and they you know there is a certain culture behind our work and you either click with us or you don't and you can feel it. So if it's clear that you need some convincing, then I'm not trying to convince that strong because maybe I will be good at this sales process and I will convert you as a lead. Uh, but sooner or later it will be apparent that maybe we are not a good fit together, right? So mm. uh, so if it you no. Know, Obviously, if it feels like we can be a good fit and it's, it does uh, deserve some, I don't know, convincing or some more conversations to understand each other because my intuition says that it's, it should be fine, then I will try to do this, but only to a certain point, right? So mm-hmm. it's usually enough if they try to read our book in Remote, and that's usually enough. And if they come from the Ruby world, uh, we have this, because that's the thing that with the... Um, if you take uh, Ruby on Rails, it's such a specific niche in the, Ruby, in the um, overall programming market, that if you have an existing project written in Ruby on Rails, you can't take just some JavaScript developers start working on that. This requires a deeper knowledge of how Rails works. And we have this knowledge, right? So we, are, we have this foundation. Uh, while, okay, uh, we may not be you know, as good as whatever is your business domain yet, Right, so we will try to uh, see if, the, if this is the this is the domain that we can learn quickly or not. So, but over usually I think in practice it was okay for us to learn something along the way, and I don't think like the the whole idea that some developers will be excellent at this specific business domain is so unique anyway that you know even if we are good at publishing but we never worked let's say on I don't know blockchain projects, uh, but we have strong Mm, mathematics skills, computer science skills, that we can learn that, Um, that, you know, I think what I'm trying to get at, get to is that business, the the, the idea of developers understanding business is so rare that even if we don't have specific business knowledge, we can learn that because we have learned other domains. While, um, no, this is not a very popular approach, I would say. Usually you Mm -hmm. try to build a layer on top of developers, that layer of people understand business while the developers, there's this, I think it's a misconception overall that they can translate business to developers and the developers, they become just some translators, you know, the, I don't want to use bad names here, but you know, (laughs) it's uh, some some idea that developers, they don't need to think that much, right? This is is a very popular approach nowadays. And uh, it's hard to argue with that, but this is not the way I want to work.
0: Yeah, there I think I think what I'm loving so much about this is uh like maybe there's some definitely some hard work involved to get to this point but basically like you don't have to have domain expertise to go get a client in a certain domain and that's yeah. like a really like that should be an awesome concept for everybody listening to this like that <laughs> that's really freedom right there. I mean you just you just have to have confidence in yourself it sounds like to be able to to solve these problems and maybe some technical like mm-hmm. fundamental stuff is that that's kind of what i'm like the computer science and the mathematical skills
1: yeah yeah i, I think that's uh that's a good like, description of how how we, how we work uh and uh, we uh if you look at our blog for example so we in the end we obviously work with business people we work with businesses but the way we attract those businesses is not via some content where we say 10 ways how you should market your product or right. 20 ways of starting your business or whatever. We only target technical people and th- through this we get the, the, the clients. So mm-hmm. the whole of my, our marketing uh, is uh, via you know, other developers, senior developers, CTOs who are usually former developers. And they can, I believe they can trust us because they see the technical content, not the not the marketing behind it. And this makes it, um, I think the r approach to marketing is very specific because we don't have to target different groups of people. Uh, we only target programmers. And sometimes we target some programmers that we can recruit later. Sometimes we target programmers who can buy our books. Sometimes we target programmers who... Might be our clients or their CTOs at our potential clients. So via the same blog post, we can target like everyone who who we are interested in. Um, mm-hmm. So so that's 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 like our attitude to marketing. And we don't really have marketing people. We don't have salespeople. Uh, I'm probably the only person who does. Um, um, actually, many of us at Arkency do those marketing roles, mm-hmm. sales roles sometimes um And I'm the only person who you can call a manager or someone else than a developer. But I'm still also a developer, right? It's just I'm a, I'm a mix of roles right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have Dark and We don't really have that many people apart from programmers.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that it's uh it's truly amazing. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna move on just just so I can cover some other content. But this is really fascinating to me. Like. Uh, like this is how you're able to actually have such a lean team mm-hmm. and uh and everybody's becoming um just domain experts along the way i mean it's really kind of a really fascinating i think
1: mm-hmm. yeah so just um, maybe to end this chapter of this conversation so uh, this is one of the book i'm really uh, i'm reading right now and it's really good and it's it's not our book it's called developer hegemony but the future of labor by Eric Dietrich and that book was, was recommended to me uh, by some people over and over and I started reading this and it's also a good summary how, how our philosophy works and also our own book Async Remotes, like kind of describes the way um, developers can be stronger as developers but also as business people and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, mm-hmm. I came up, I probably, I, I've probably stolen it from someone but i use this term um, like there is business to customers so b2c there is business to business so b2b i use the term business to developers so b2d and that's what we do
0: yeah that's awesome and it's i mean you're you you sound like you're part ninja or something like that because literally it's like like you don't you don't do any marketing and you're almost vetting every opportunity that comes to you and so i'm i'm just kind of curious um well I'll say, (laughs) I want to know how you vet your, like how you vet opportunities and how you kill ideas. And I had that later in my questioning, but maybe we just jump into it right now. How do you vet or how do you determine if an opportunity is worth going for, or do you, yeah. Let's let's start there and then we'll talk about how do you kill your ideas?
1: So I'm a person who has too many ideas. (laughs) So I constantly have to kill ideas. Uh, sometimes it's just you know, for for me the team is the most important like I know partner. Uh, so mm-hmm. we use Slack, we communicate. I think we have good relationship between each other. So uh, whenever I have an idea or we have some potential client coming to us, it's almost like a whole company decision. And definitely when we when we recruit new people, is a whole company decision in a way um, because it also doesn't happen very often. We the, there is only uh, between, I don't know, 13 to 15 developers usually at one moment at Arcancy, so it's a, it's a small company. Uh, it's not that often that we recruit new people. It's not that often that people quit our company. It's not that often that we get new clients because we are, like, booked right now, fully booked. Usually the clients who we work with, they more they want more of us than less of us. So this means that it's not really a common situation where we get a new client. So usually when I have a potential client, even if they sound really, really well, uh, you know, that's a nice opportunity for us, even maybe as a better financial opportunity. I prefer one way of one, one decision process is that we are very, I'm not sure if that's a good English word, uh, loyal to our old mm-hmm. clients. So we prefer to stay with clients who we trust already and who we have a good relationship with instead of jumping to someone else because they will pay us better, right? So obviously we value money, but in the end it's the relationship that matters and the trust that we built over years. So the current clients are more important than new clients, which means hmm. I have to kill lots of ideas all the time, unfortunately. <laughs> but there is this area of, uh, because I'm a, I'm a developer by heart, right? So I started a company, but I'm still a developer. I write maybe less code than I used to, but I still write code. Uh, but the area where I can try new ideas is probably marketing and sales, especially in those areas where we say uh, we, can, uh, we can sell our knowledge. So we write, we publish ebooks, books we, we have started an online class last year, it's called Rails Architect Masterclass. Uh, we target senior Ruby developers with our um, educational approaches. Um, next month, we will have race architect conference so we 'll host an actual event in Poland for three days. Um, so this is the area where I can try new ideas and experiment with them and this is the part of the company that we want to grow, so we want to educate more and more so what we learn at client projects, we can somehow think about how to structure it, how to put it in a well structured way for other people to learn from, and then we, we try to do this so this is our approach to at least productize a part of the company but still the client projects are the most
0: important part Mm. okay cool yeah i love that so much so basically relationship over money if 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 the decision Mm -hmm. is uh kind of come down to it that's that's your yeah kind of high level decision process yeah Yeah. that's really cool um so does your team work much with integrating like machine learning uh, models into your projects, or or is that not really been a requirement of uh, clients?
1: Um, I know this topic is growing, and I think I understand the basics of it, but uh, it's not an area that we were we have been involved, and it's on. We've been only on one project where some where some machine learning people were involved in a project, and uh, there were some Python people. Uh, and the way they were involved was just, okay, we, they need access to our database. And that was basically it. Uh, and I don't remember the details, but it, I not, I'm not sure how exactly this worked in the end, but it, it, it's not an area that we are very, you
0: no, know, it's not something that we work with directly. It's, a, it's almost like two completely different ecosystems, I guess, maybe they see each other yeah. from time to time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we are like the, the software engineering area more than we are in the data science area or the machine learning. So I'm personally very interested in how it will you know, develop the whole AI machine learning and stuff, as a chess player especially, but um, looking at it at this from the business perspective and from my developer's heart perspective, like I myself don't really see this as a big passion for myself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I value this. Uh, Thing, you know there, there is a big value in that but it's just something okay probably there are more there are better people working on this
0: hmm yeah fair enough uh, what what differentiates a junior developer versus somebody that's on your team
1: yeah it's a very difficult question but a good question we often discuss this at our company uh, first of all we try to avoid those labels overall uh, there okay. were Probably the easiest way to find appliance of this label is, is of this label junior developer is you know, trying to say how many years of experience you have, and you know, trying to decide where you are in the experience timeline. But even there, uh, I've been working with some very young people who you know just from the from the beginning you see them uh, like seniors who just don't know they're already seniors, right? Because they have such a deep passion to the programming part for understanding all the layers. Um, so I, d- I don't really use the word junior that much. However, I am involved in certain projects or ideas where I see this as a problem that some people can't enter the programming market because nowadays it's really so many people apply. There is no place for everyone. Some people get stuck and they uh, lose hope along the way that they, maybe they will not get there. So I'm trying to help some of the younger people, um, even maybe even pre, pre-junior, pre like even the junior maybe have, I don't one-year experience. Some people have zero years of experience while they already have some skills. Um, so this is an interesting discussion, but I would like detach it from our company because at our company we are not dealing with those less experienced people that much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very difficult, like I, maybe even most difficult, problem right now in our software community overall like how to get those uh, less experienced people to bring more value because there is a huge need for senior people and there is not enough not enough people for that while there is a huge amount of the pre-junior and junior people and i think the the market doesn't really need that much of them So the whole problem comes down how we can quickly make them more seniorish, whatever that means. And this is a big challenge. And this requires probably some concepts of internships and mentorships, uh, some programs, maybe boot camps, um, people who educate uh, as much as they can on social media and so on. very, very difficult topic, and I you know I would, I would love to discuss it more, but it just requires more precise areas, okay, how we can make someone to start a job in the Ruby market, maybe, right? So that's something we can focus on. In general, this is like, because that's also what I believe in, I don't agree with that, but the whole concept that there, there's not one programming community, but there are many different programming communities. So there's the Python web community, there's the Python machine learning community, there's Ruby, so Ruby is actually unified. Ruby is almost only Rails, and R- Rails is only web. So when you enter Ruby, you are a web developer. So this is uh, this is like, okay, in this community, I feel very confident I can help someone get there. And this is what I do, actually. Uh, but I don't know how to jump into, I don't know, Java development or Python development or something like that. Mm-hmm. And th- this is different discussion because, for example, in Rails, you can easily, learn Rails very quickly. You can become a very strong junior in Rails, deliver a very big amount of value for the business, for the team, and you can quickly start delivering value with Rails. So visible value for the client. In those communities where you don't have such, such efficient frameworks like Rails, or such easy frameworks, this is uh, harder because then you have to spend more time on learning the foundations, the basics, just to get to the point where you are s- somehow—I uh, don't know. Let's let's put it this way: profitable for whoever works with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe in Rails. In the Rails community, this is quite healthy, and you know you, there is shorter path to deliver value.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for th- for sharing that. Do you see Do you see there's some sort of attributes of the person where maybe they're more capable of becoming senior than others or do you think it's all within them all? They just need to put in the time?
1: It requires a lot of patience anyway. So patience and you know, systematic work. Uh, I'm one of my recent projects that I was, I am involved in is called find open source mentor. Because I believe without good mentors, you was know, such a person who just starts in the in the program with the programming or is a junior, I believe that every junior needs to be surrounded by some mentors or at least one mentor. And uh, this is probably the biggest challenge for our industry that I uh, know us more on the senior side, we need to understand that we need to be uh mentors in some way or another. Because like you can be a direct mentor with some people or you can host a podcast like you're doing, right? So you are mm-hmm opening the door for some, for many people. And I really, I really appreciate the work of you, for example, like you're doing with the podcast, because um, I I believe this is really very, very important, very often not appreciated enough, like the work many people do on social media, um, on YouTube, on podcasts, this is, um, this delivers huge value, value for the young, for the younger people, for the junior people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also okay you can because w- with such podcasts you can highlight certain areas certain problems and those junior people they can at least you know see okay this is something i've heard here for the first time maybe i can educate so th- so they will need to have a checklist of things a to-do list okay i, th- I need to at least understand that. okay so we, they were like if i'm listening to a podcast and i'm a junior developer and i don't mm-hmm. understand a certain area uh, my to-do point will be, okay, educate myself at least enough to understand this part of the conversation, right? So understand the, the terminology that was used. This is the first step. Second step is, okay, Do whatever they are talking about, does it make sense? Can I contribute to this discussion, right? So mm-hmm. this is the place where Twitter helps, or listening to podcasts help, because uh, such a new person or junior person can be exposed to many different new topics, and they can see whether it's worth doing. But uh, in the end, it's really, really helpful to find a good mentor who can work directly with you, and doesn't have to be—I uh, don't know—very. Um, the mentor doesn't need to spend much time. It's, sometimes it's just you know, pointing direction, and one mentor can easily help ten ten juniors. I'm probably surrounded right now by you know twenty people who I'm trying to help, uh, but it's not—it's um, not a big deal overall. They are just asking me, okay, Andre. Uh, I wrote this piece of code, can you show me what are my biggest problems right now? And I see this code, okay, they, they, they used some non-idiomatic Ruby constructions, right? So I can point them, okay, you need to read that book. And that's the whole work I do. So I don't teach them what the content of the book, I just say, this is a really good book, you should read it, because at this moment, this will help you. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people are good at Ruby skills, for example, but I clearly see they lack the business understanding of the software, right? So they try to put the software almost like at the center where it's not, we are helping software is just a tool for businesses. And if a developer, even an engineer developer doesn't understand how business works, and in my area of the world, so Eastern Europe, this is very common, we are uh, not often exposed to the you know, market economy for generations. It's a, it's a you know, there, there were historically problems with that in our countries. So. Hmm. people think that sales and marketing and business is something bad and that's a mental change they have to follow in the end right so that's but hmm. so then I have to point them okay you need to educate yourself a little bit with the business part of it because even if you're really good at Ruby or Rails you, know, you will have problems talking to the business people right And understand that
0: yeah that's that's what's really fascinating about uh, you I think or at least for me what I think is so fascinating about you is so you've got this whole technical piece covered but then you've kind of gone you're the CEO you're the captain of the ship there you know that's that's kind of like a lot to take on and I'm just curious if there was like one or two big takeaways after going through that process I mean what like what would you say to somebody else out there that's basically like a freelancer you know, they're, they're a master of the code, but they're struggling getting clients or they have like an entrepreneurial venture that they want to create, but that's not their forte. Like what kind of, um, I guess mentorship could you provide to them in like a, in a couple of sentences on how to acquire these skills or, or maybe don't do it. (laughs) I don't know. What is the answer there?
1: Um, It's difficult, but let me try. So when I started the company, as I said, I wasn't really aware that I'm starting a company. I was just, right. you know, passing and trying to get some help because I was struggling with, with the situation. <clears throat> but my instinct was always like the very, very basic and primitive instinct. Like my whole business thing was for me, am I making positive cash flow? Right. That was like that was the only thing because I had to survive. So uh, <laughs> I had to pay the rent. I had to you know pay for mm-hmm. certain stuff in my life. And when I was starting the company, it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't so obvious as it is now that developers are making you know really big amounts of money. They can make big amounts of money. Like 15 years ago, it wasn't so obvious yet. Uh, the the market rates were not that high as they are now. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it wasn't so obvious that I will actually make enough money to survive it it wasn't clear Uh, so at the beginning for me a whole understanding of my economy of economy and the business side was I need to make money I need to make more money that they spent Uh, and it's only later that I started recognizing that for example there is such an area which is called sales and this is no this and this and this and there's this area of marketing there is the branding part there is content marketing and it was usually i found those labels only after i've been using them so mm. i've been using content marketing for years without knowing it's called content marketing so uh i think it's good to like my approach would be to, would be to you know understand what i instinctively instinct oh my god that's a good hard word instinctively mm-hmm. do anyway and only then educate myself enough from the theoretical part of the business how this is called by the business people so i've never used the term lead for many years before uh, knowing that okay so, so the clients that i just talked to them about potentially working together those are leads i just never n- knew this term and we actually not, don't even have that really good word for that in the polish language so so this was really interesting for me like learning hmm. okay so so those customers, potential customers, are after like there's a special phase for that, it's called the leads or it's called I don't know nurturing leads or converting the leads. Like I didn't really have that this vocabulary, and it was like via decomposing it later into smaller parts. that I learned okay, this is um, this is what it is, and I followed some people. Like for example, I was uh, I was a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I learned quite a lot from just following Gary. Not everyone loves Gary, uh, but there was certain areas of Gary's message that I really liked, mm-hmm. You know, especially around content marketing that I was applying into practice. Uh, so this is the kind of mentors, obviously everyone needs to find the mentor they like, they enjoy. And uh, try to, I don't know, follow your instinct, follow what your mentor says, and maybe... Uh, like this, this is a very difficult journey, so, so coming from a developer and trying to become a CEO, there's, there are certain phases and I'm not sure if it's very easy to say, okay, those are the specific phases because for everyone there, there are probably different phases. But mm-hmm. that's an area that I'm also found, I found myself to be uh, very interested. So I'm already helping and I'm a mentor for people who are switching to the business side more and more. And I've helped some people recently to, for example, switch from being the developer to create online classes, right? And so that was something that I never thought I would could be a mentor for that, but apparently I was able to help someone. And, you know, so, hmm. and I think more and more developers are trying to do this switch, or at least partially. Uh, uh, but I'm still not in a position to say, okay, I'm an expert at this, and it's just one of the many many areas that i enjoy doing but probably is not my main area of interest mm-hmm. um, for me the the crucial points were understanding the different phases of business or the different phases of you know making money so, okay sales branding marketing and so on uh, and i'm still not really that you know efficient in using those terms
0: yeah it's a i it's a journey or a process like you were saying mm-hmm. Um, What are some major learnings from building software using the uh, DDD approach?
1: Um, DDD helps us applying the business thinking into the code base. And this was something that we started doing, I don't know, eight years ago uh, in our projects where we started to recognize that there is this, this biggest challenge in software: how do you decompose things? What are the modules? Right? It's easy to say split the code into modules, but what are the modules? How do are, how are they named? Uh, this is the difficult part. And it seems to that the answer is uh, that the business has all the answers. So that the domain we are working with has all the answers. So um, if I'm working with publishing and I work on a software that helps calculating royalties there is this part about accounting there uh, there is invoicing there is you now there are names in the business side of those things in those names they apply one-to-one to a module and in the domain-driven design in the strategic tools around domain-driven design they, those are called contexts so bonded context an area of business that you just model in you with your code uh, so you mm-hmm. try to imagine a model in your Head or in the whiteboard of how to model this part of the business using you know programming terms, and then you you need to be um, you need to map this model one to one into code. So okay, it's nice to design, nice to draw some boxes, but now let's make it happen in the code. And because I believe in the incremental work on software, I'm I'm coming from the extreme programming background where things are never perfect, but you just make them incrementally better. Um, so. I think that's what RKNC does. We just, we, we kind of know what is where we are going in terms of the bigger vision. We know where we are right now, and we know that the work needs to be done in small steps while the functional the system still need to be functional all the time. It needs to work, even if it's just a huge you know mess at the beginning of the process, but we need to be very, very careful with our changes. And so we apply those domain-driven design um, strategic Mm, changes like splitting the context, so that's one part so, okay you extract the accounting, you extract the um, invoicing, you extract the billing part, you extract the payments part. those are the context and once you have those at least the boundaries are there somehow, you can apply the other uh, mm, they they're, they're called building blocks of domain driven design, for example I'm fascinated by the pattern called process manager. So this area of your code where you need to, there are those long business processes in the in the business world. So before you send money to an author in the publishing industry, there's a lot of things that needs to happen. So some books needs to be written, they need to be published, they need to be sold, they need to be, um, wait for the, the books to be returned. There's a specific time for that. And only later you can actually issue um, a statement where and a payment to the author, so there is a long business process, and and this, those kind of long business processes in DDD they are called process managers. So there you have a design pattern for that, where you say only when this, this, and this happen, we can issue a payment. So it's like almost very clearly input, 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 output. So um, mm. we connect domain-driven design with event-driven architectures. So the input comes as events, right? Okay. So book was written, uh, contract was signed. Uh, something else was delivered, you know, we have the address or we have the account number or the, the bank account number of the, the author, everything is, like, happened, okay, now we can issue a new command, so a command to the payment context, we can send money to this author. And th- th- this building block is, like, the, the, at the heart of many of the software projects, and our work is very often find the process manager because it's usually there but it's usually implemented as a bunch of scattered if statements somewhere there right so there's a bit part a bit here a bit here a bit here once we gradually introduce some event driven architecture so we rely on those idea the concept of events we use the building blocks from domain driven design as for example like for example the process manager and this is, this is usually the middle. So when I, set up, when I told you about this start from the middle approach, mm-hmm. like this process manager of this publishing industry, for example, this is the, the, the heart of the software. Like everything else, the UI, obviously it's important, but it's a detail, it's a periphery of the system. It's easy to implement, There's, there is nothing unknown. But once you get this middle stuff done uh, in an elegant way, it will be much easier for you to build other parts of the system.
0: Mm
1: so process yeah. managers and bounded context that two uh two of my favorite like tools from domain driven design
0: where where do people uh is there like an excellent resource that you would recommend if they wanted to get more uh in touch with how ddd works or mm-hmm. how- um, the
1: the biggest title is uh called domain driven design it's a classic book by eric evans um, it was published in 2004 or five. Um, it's it's called Blue Book because it has a blue cover. Uh,
0: okay.
1: So that's the classic one. And I think many programmers will fall in love very quickly once they start reading it because it's, it's expressing like all the problems in software design and mm. it provides solutions. And the second book is called uh, Implementing Domain Driven Design. It's, it's written by Yvonne Vernon. And it shows more code and more like specific uh, code transformations that you can make. And there is a good example uh, how to build a project management software using this kind of building blocks. Okay. Uh, if, if, you, if you were doing, um, for example, the Rails projects, we also wrote a book called Domain Driven Rails, uh, where, we, where we explain how to do uh, domain driven design in Rails. Uh, I know some people from a company where I used to work for. Uh, so, the Python company, they're working on something very similar, but for the Python community. So, I know that domain driven design is slowly becoming a thing in the Python community as well. Okay. Um, so, probably there is, I think there is a repo. I will send you a link later where sure. there are some resources. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, th- thanks for sharing all that. I just reflect on my own uh, place of work and because execution is emphasized over well like planning is good but execution is better (laughs) you know just like like and actually that was a question I don't know um uh how how much uh we're 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 kind of already up on our our hour here but I was just kind of curious like when it comes to planning versus execution it sounds like you're very execution heavy but there's also some discovery involved to kick it off, how do you weigh those?
1: Um, like we try to split our like, developers work into, at, all, at any time a developer, like me included, we should be, uh, it should be clear what is the feature I'm working on. So where in the backlog I'm assigned to. So my analysis, my work in the code should be always in the context of something that I'm currently assigned on because that's needed from the business perspective. Mm-hmm. So, if we are talking about you know the analysis versus planning at the project level, um, then it's becoming always specific. It's like context bound to what I'm currently working for the business. And but obviously, very often you work on a small feature, but you have some insights about the bigger problems in the project. So you try to. Um, I believe in that, that that the value is not in documenting everything somewhere because people will forget about reading this and so on, but just constant communication, this is what I believe in. So let's say uh, if I constantly see that some problems keep appearing around a specific, uh, a specific theme, and I th- there are some tools to, 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 um, to attack this problem, then we should be like constantly coming back to this and somehow uh, at some, but obviously there is a limit to how much you can talk about it. Once we have some idea of, Probably, what can solve our problem? Maybe it's extracting a new process manager, for example. Then let someone just do it. Like, like instead of talking, it's better to prepare a pull request, show the you know your attempt to implement this, and then we can discuss. So, so yes, it's very quick. We, quickly, we can at IRC we say that you know show me the code. You can you can talk a lot about abstract patterns, and design decisions, and DDD and stuff and other buzzwords. Uh, but in the end, it's the code. And show me the code is, is the best way to say, okay, we need to be concrete now. Like, let's go and see mm. at this. Look at this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, usually, it's usually a good idea to express in the code because suddenly you think it's a big deal. We're talking about, you know, some huge things like bigger new process managers, new bounded context. In the end, it's just extracting a new module, five lines, uh, new files created. Some, I don't know, five new classes are created some unit tests are are created, suddenly it's a thing to be done in three hours, right? And that was the whole discussion around it. So it's very often much easier to to
0: express it in the code. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I kind of had some wind down questions. Um, How are we doing on time for you? I'm
1: okay with, I I I have have time.
0: Okay, yeah, I have a a few. You can choose to uh, answer these however deeply you want um but the first one was uh so where do you see your business in 5 years we can kick it off with that
1: um that's a hard one <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm not a huge planner in terms of such a long term situation i think we will be similar in the area that we will still be working on ruby projects rails projects i see the ruby perspective to be very bright overall so, I don't think this area of technology will change that much. But obviously, we work on web development. So, the part where things change very quickly is the front end part. So, we, we're also efficient at JavaScript, at React, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this is the area where I have I, it's hard to predict what will be there in five years. We'll probably change frameworks three times, meanwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, when it comes to business, I believe we will be stronger in our educational approaches. So we'll probably have more uh, online classes. I think the online classes is becoming the big, big thing right now. So all the video classes, uh, we've, we've published already eight or nine eBooks and one physical, like re- actual p- paper book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very good format for us for many years. It's still good, but uh, but right now it's clear that the trend is to publish online classes uh, we have the, the biggest one right now. It's like, it's our 12-week Rails Architect Masterclass. Mm-hmm. We combine it with the uh, actual real-life workshops, uh, usually around the area of domain-driven design with Rails. Mm. I think it will be, I think and maybe hope that nothing revolutionary will change our business directions, right? So mm-hmm. so this is what I think we want to do, but we will just be better Maybe we'll find better ways of um, teaching this stuff. Maybe we'll find better ways of, uh, you know, um, helping our clients to work with such patterns. Uh, I'm overall a futurist, but I don't think in five years that many things will change overall, right? So we're already 12 years on the market as a company. And, you know, once we learned about domain-driven design and stuff, um, I don't think it will, you know, that many things changed over, over those last five years, for example, right? Mm-hmm. It's just we'll try to, because I, I want Arkenseed to be a small company in terms of the number of people. Uh, so we are small by design, while I want our influence to be growing. So I want to be, I want our voice to be louder uh, for those people who want to hear us. Because the Ruby mm-hmm. community is also divided, like some people just work on very small applications and you know following our recommendations in terms of domain driven design just doesn't make sense for them and i would actually discourage them from from following us too much um yeah but we will be focusing on those big applications and this is where we want our voice to be heard
0: cool yeah thanks for sharing that so uh so you had mentioned uh i i was in the pre-interview i was Uh, doing a bunch of research and uh somewhere i i captured this you were talking about learning deeply uh oh actually it's it's how you would have started over from scratch you would have learned rails deeply uh how how do you learn deeply like what is the methodology that that you use is it read take notes or how do you how do you learn deeply
1: um I think there's like time for everything. So there's time for just reading, there is time for applying the knowledge, uh, which is acquired. Uh, I try to, when I mentor some new people, I try to help them by saying, uh, you know, try to create this side project and focus on the project where you get stuck, for example, we don't know how to solve the authentication problem. Okay, I can point you to our nice uh, uh, authentication library. So then you can take a few days and just learn about this library and try to uh, include it. So I think in the Rails community, uh, there are certain, like the, the focus in is, is very much on the efficiency and, and like on the time for delivery. I think it's a very specific community where it's really all about you know, getting the result as quickly as possible. Sometimes it's, it's too strong. Sometimes you need to learn more fundamental things instead of just delivering. So sometimes it's it's too much, but overall I I like this um, attitude in our community where uh, in the end it's the software that is working matters and not not the reading time and so on, but nothing replaces a big fundamental knowledge of computer science stuff, right? So I do expect many people to, um, in the end they need to find time to read how compilers work, how the low level stuff works, how to uh, how to I don't know compile the Linux kernel even right? It's not something that you need to do nowadays. I, this is the way I grew up by compiling the um, the Linux kernel, but I think it's, under, it's, it's important to at some point find the time and understand this and try this right, so that you will build you will build the knowledge. So you, it's nice that we have the frameworks like Django in Python or Ruby on Rails in Ruby, where you can get the results quickly. And we should be a, we should acquire this skill as the first one because this will, I don't know, create value for other people, which means we can make money on this. For example, we can survive.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, uh, then we need to structure our learning time in order to understand like everything that happens below. So we need to understand how CQL works, um, what's happening with this TCP/IP protocol, right? You need to at some point you just you just need to find it, uh, find time and learn it uh and it may take years so it's not an, it's not it's not a short process right it's 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 a very long process for each of us
0: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense so uh what what do you look for when hiring people on on your team like attributes of uh of the people um there are several areas.
1: So like the, the full stack approach. So people need to understand that when they're working with our clients, they will be the person responsible for delivering, delivering a feature both on the backend side and the frontend side. Uh, and also they need to be able to communicate with the client, they need to be able to understand the business. So those are the areas that I try to recognize um, very quickly. Uh, very often the re- recruitment process is actually easier for us because it's because uh, the, someone who we recruit is actually recommended by someone already at Arcancy. So when someone from Arcancy recommends someone else, it's much easier to say, okay, they probably already know what they are doing by recommending them.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: very often the people who apply are after they're applying because they are following us on the our blog. They read our books. They attend our... Mm, workshops or conferences and they understand the philosophy so quite a lot of the recruitment process work is easier because they're already very familiar with our process and it's easier because we are very public about how we work so many people know already Mm. Hmm. yeah usually usually it's by recognizing the character skills like okay is this person self-disciplined how reliable they can be and so on but This is the area where it's very hard to say at the beginning. It's something that you will, uh, it's it's sometimes easier to detect maybe after you start the cooperation. So I'm not uh, trying to prove everything before we start working together. Sometimes it's just easier to, okay, let's do the work together and then we'll see. And I believe that's the way you can see in the open source world. So I'm always inspired by what open source projects are doing. Mm -hmm. When I have an open source project and someone tries to help me, I don't need to recruit them because they will just take a task. Maybe I can help them with uh, some pres- more precise um, specification, but they will try to solve the problem and I will just see how they are solving the problem and this way we can work together. So
0: hmm.
1: I believe the, op- the open source influence will be bigger and bigger in the software world. Also, not only by the libraries that are produced, by by the whole philosophy behind it.
0: Hmm. Yeah that's uh thanks for sharing that. Uh what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received?
1: Hmm. I think in terms of like the, the scope of programming um I was very influenced by extreme programming uh, so by Kent Beck and people like that, and when I worked at the at the python company that i mentioned, I worked with uh, my boss was a was a programmer um and his attitude was uh, like really almost like life changing for me as a for as a programmer because mm-hmm. his attitude was really a lot about uh let's make it let's let's keep it simple let's try not to predict things in the future. Uh, this is the requirement we we have right now, and even though on the backlog we can see the next requirements let 's not think about them let 's do the minimal thing that we need to do in order to finish this requirement this This requirement we have right now so let 's not over engineer stuff let 's not over let 's make the scope not big bigger than it should be um and this was, at the same time, it was very, like, simple and obvious, but when I, sh- I, l- I saw this in practice while per-programming with, with Giles, uh, it was something that, oh, my God, this really works, and we are so efficient, we are so fast. So over one day, we delivered two new features. It was all, like, mm, mm, test-driven. It was all, uh, you know, code-reviewed because of per-programming all the time. So it was like amazing to see exactly how it works. So I was already after you know reading the theory from extreme programming books, but then working with with actually experienced people in from the extreme programming community. So like my boss, for example, that was uh, eye opening. That okay, this actually works, and that's something that I'm uh, I think I'm still under influence. That you know you can you just always think about the next step. And even though it does sound smart to think about the future, you don't have to, right? You you will always find a way to solve the next problems as long as you keep your code simple.
0: Hmm. Cool, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. What is the best non-technical book that you've read?
1: Hmm, Non-technical book. There were so many of them, like <laughs> I should probably look at my bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was this there was this time where I was following Gary Vaynerchuk and his book crushing it for example was okay. important for me uh I think uh, I, I I needed I needed to be taught how to be more confident more aggressive in marketing and sales in my vision of how marketing and sales can work uh so I think reading like Learning from Gary Vaynerchuk overall and reading his books uh, was really useful for me, especially with the confidence part. Uh, I was very introverted as a developer. I was not that socially skilled as a person. And somehow I was trying to improve this this area of my life, of of business as well. Um, So understanding how business works for me was also helping me in my life overall.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. Oh, okay. So basically those Gary Vaynerchuk books, the crushing it. And yeah. okay, cool. Oh, uh, what, what are the top programming languages that should be on people's radars going into 2020?
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the hard question. I know this is the, the, the this is the fancy title for many videos on YouTube. Yeah. And so um, I think, uh, Mm, Right now, the trends are clear. So JavaScript is winning, at least from my perspective, right? Uh, JavaScript Mm -hmm. is supposed to be winning the market. Python is really, really strong and growing. And, you know, it's hard to make a mistake going into Python right now. Um, I say say this with a really hard... (laughs) Feeling because uh, there was a long time where Ruby and Python were competing very closely to each other because they are such similar languages that you know there's almost no differences between them. But now it's clear that in terms of the market share, Python has won this competition with Ruby. Uh, But I would advise many people not to think in terms of market share that much, where JavaScript and Python are bigger and bigger, um, but find niches. And when you look at niches, it might be uh, sometimes surprising to see that it's not Python or JavaScript that are winning, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, for example, I, I believe that uh, in terms of the web development, uh, Ruby and Python are either equivalent choices or that Ruby might be even better because Ruby is only about web, while Python is about web and lots of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Like, everything that is in Ruby happened because of web development. So you will have a library for everything web-related. Hmm. And if you if you want your future to be somehow web-related, and I believe web is still the future, uh, then Ruby is, a, is, I think, a good choice, among also other languages. So uh, I think, I find it surprising because it wasn't my bet for a long time, but Rust seems to be in a really growing position. It's not my favorite syntax overall but certain of the design um, solutions at the language level, at the runtime level, are really strong from foundations. So while, for example, Python and Ruby, they did struggle because of the global interpreter log, so the GIL problem uh, for many years, and only now that they are trying to to find some good solutions for that, Uh, there are languages like Rust, which has this problem solved from the beginning. Uh, But still, I think there is, big future for the JVM-based languages, including Java. Obviously, we should never underestimate uh, Microsoft, so uh, C-Sharp will probably be strong. We should not underestimate what Apple is doing, so probably Swift is still going to be strong. Uh, It's something like there is no point to just choosing the leader right now. It's just know which direction you really want to go, where you feel your passion for, for, for software development. And I don't really believe that there is like that a software developer I don't want to be limited to web but this is the kind of project that I work on for the last 15 years so I should probably accept the reality that I'm mostly I'm closer to web than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I should probably I would be fine if I would if I had to switch to Python for example. I probably not, I'm not planning to do this but uh, I would be fine with that.
0: Sure. Cool. Well um, I I kind of buzz through a few things there at the end so i just want to make sure did we did we talk about everything uh that that you would like to talk about did we leave anything off the table this go-around
1: i feel we've covered so many areas it was really good to have this opportunity so i feel we we're good
0: cool yeah this was a lot of fun thanks so much for coming on the show uh and with that i'll i'll just uh shut down the podcast but if you want to stick around for maybe a couple minutes after we can uh, we could just kind of wind down but other than that uh thank you so much for uh being on the show and i wish you the best of luck it sounds like you have a lot of really awesome things going on with your business
1: thank you and thank you everyone who listened to this thank you for your attention for your patience and feel free to contact me whichever way probably twitter is fastest so
0: Okay, that, that was my, I, I always asked that at the end too. And I almost, well, I, I basically forgot, but I need to do this. So what is the main call to action here that you have? Um, that you have a course, if, if you're kind of like an advanced Ruby person, you can check that out. You're all on the major socials, which we'll make sure and link in the show. What is your call to action here at the end of the show? Uh,
1: so if you liked what I was saying about certain areas, I probably have some more interesting thoughts around like remote work. So, If you're into remote collaboration, you can follow me on Twitter about that or read our blog post. We have the blog, blog.arknc.com where we have the sections for Ruby, for remote work, for uh, JavaScript, I think. So you can choose your one. If you happen to be a Ruby developer, there's probably quite a lot you can get from uh, following me because I often tweet about or blog about Ruby. Uh, Yeah, so the call to action is mostly, I know, because probably your community is mostly Python specific, so I just want to say that, you know, I feel that Python and Ruby are very similar. It's very good to look at each other. So I actually, even though I'm not doing Python, and nowadays, nothing about Python, I do follow Python blocks because uh, the same solution for problems you find in the Python community will work for the Ruby community, and I find that it's very rare that we look at each other, right? So, if you're a Python developer, look at Ruby community, probably, for example, by following me, uh, because you will see similar problems, right? And some of the problems were solved in Ruby were still... For example, I see that domain-driven design is more popular on Ruby than it is in Python community. So maybe that's something you can at least try to see. Maybe it's a good fit for Python. Maybe you will find some, um, like the Ruby, ex- Ruby code examples are almost identical to what, what that would be with Python. So uh, if you're interested in those um, arch- architectural things like domain-driven design, CQRS, and even sourcing, uh, you can follow me on uh, the Twitter and read our ArcNeseq blog. Because the code will be identical to whatever we, you want to do with Python, for example.
0: Cool. Uh, right.
1: And you happen to be a Ruby developer, then cons- consider you now uh, the Rails Architect Masterclasses is our way of teaching what I was just said. So domain-driven design within the Rails context, and the Rails Architect Conference, which was happening this year in November, in Wrocław, Poland. Uh, this is another like way of coming and discussing it together, and then. As part of this, you will get access to Rails Architect Masterclass, which is an online class. So it's a whole combo of knowledge.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure everybody has uh, access to those links as well. So with that being said, thank you so much and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Yep.